continue this this journey of identity, and I, and I want to start um, just by acknowledging the the beauty of that uh, that worship time, the beauty of that song, um, the struggle of that song, um, like part of us walking in identity is not, you know your identity in Christ, now you can go take the mountain or, I don't know, whatever, change the world. Like, when, when I know my identity in Christ, I can stand in tension without having to disassociate to sing a song like that. Um, and it's like, when you don't know who you are and you, and you encounter really difficult things or you're walking through hell or you're, you're, you're struggling and the, the prophetic word or the worship of, of this beautiful declaration that God, you're not finished yet. And you're, you're making something beautiful. And like, sometimes you go through something and you're like, I don't care what you're making out of this. I don't want it. I don't want to see it. I'm not going to be happy about it. And, 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 oh, hey, middle schoolers. <laughs> For, if you guys want to go with Drew and have some donuts, have some fun, come on. It's getting a little intense in here anyways. Let's get out of here. I was a full-grown man. I think he was about to cry. No, I wasn't. <laughs> Identity is not... Um, Identity is not just about being like, oh, I'm, I've figured this out. I've arrived at a certain place. It's like, can you stand in tension? Are you anchored on the rock? Can you stand in tension? Even when you're like, I don't really want to sing this song right now, and I'm not going to, I'm just going to stand here, and I'm going to just be in this place. And, and, and so I want us to have that sense of identity, not a performance identity, not an identity that is about how fast we can run or what we can do or what we can accomplish for the Lord, but is truly about who you are, where you are, not disassociating from your pain or your process or your journey to be able to show up in a way that you think everybody wants you to show up. Just be who you are, where you are in that place. Yeah, there's something beautiful unfolding. Um, you know, you don't have to care about that. You can care about, are, are, am I standing where I'm supposed to be standing? Am I meeting God where I'm supposed to be meeting him the way I'm supposed to be meeting him in this place? And so your identity allows you to, to remain in that place. Does that, make, does that make sense to you guys a little bit? Um, I love the song, by the way, and the worship and all of that. I'm not diminishing that. I'm just saying the reality, uh, yeah, is a process. Um, so identity is, 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 as we dive in today, this is a little bit like a workshop day. Uh, at the end of our identity sessions, we, we're, we're transitioning next week. We're going to begin to talk about inheritance and, and, uh, and understanding what, what we carry and understanding the as sons and daughters what it means to be co-heirs with Christ of a kingdom and, and, and how we walk that out. But today I wanted to simply just workshop some stuff with you in, in identity before we before we transition on. So if you have something to write with, you want to get that out, uh, maybe you brought a journal or some paper, uh, phone you can write on. If you need something to write on, we've got um, paper over here. Kate's going to bring it to you. Just raise your hand and you'll get some. You, yeah, there it is. See? So we've said a lot of things about identity. I don't want to, to I don't want to spend a lot of time a lot of time repeating stuff. Uh, you can always go back to our previous messages on YouTube. There's tons of resources that Christian 
puts together for you online. There's, there's different um, books we've encouraged you to read and quests that you can take and, and um, in-depth teachings that you can grab onto. But I want to make sure that we understand that our identity in Christ is rooted only in Jesus. It is who he is. It is our surrender. It is our dying to come alive in him that we can even ask the question, what do you look like fully alive in Jesus? Because identity is the answer to that question. What do you look like fully alive in Jesus? Without that relationship with Jesus, we can't answer this question. We cannot find our true identity apart from Jesus. And, and I know you guys understand that, but I want to keep sharing with you how identity and what we are talking about and the, and the fruit and the overflow of identity is an ongoing invitation for you and for me to surrender our lives to Jesus in, in deeper ways. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, I want you to hear this invitation into sonship and, and into daughtership. And I want you to hear this invitation of identity that we're talking about today and know that, oh, that's what happens in relationship with Jesus. And so we say things, uh, identity is a tangible expression of your faith. That's what we, we, we say that from around, around here sometimes. It's just your identity is your tangible expression of your faith and your belief in Jesus. And it's not a result of your, your effort. It's not a result of your performance. It's, it's not a result of striving. It is a result of surrender. And so as we surrender our lives to Jesus, we're able to take, lay hold of our identity and a- answer that question that we, that we have built this whole church on. What do you look like fully alive in Jesus? Um, so... We also say another thing that we've said a lot is what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. And I believe that's true, but I also believe that secondary to that is what comes to mind when you think about yourself is also extremely valuable and important for you to be able to understand. Like you will live out of the answer to the question of who are you? And there's a lot of people, a lot of us going through life and we don't have a, a, a deep sense and understanding of who we are. And so hopefully today we can give you some encouragement, but also some tools that you can use in a, in a practical way to uncover, continue to uncover who you are and, and rising into that identity of what comes to mind when you think about yourself. I can tell I can tell what you think about God, what you believe God is like, based on how you respond to adverse events that happen in your life and how things hit you or, or, or struggles that happen or unexpected things that happen. Uh, I can tell what you believe about God, how you treat somebody that disappoints you or fails you, um, how you treat someone who offends you. I can tell what you believe about God because what you believe about God is going to be um, formed here but displayed in how we're interacting with the world around us. And so we're asking these important questions that form reform what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about God. And we have to understand that all of who you are is a composite of your life and your experiences and your upbringing. The last couple of weeks, we've talked a lot, a little bit here and there about um, family wound, wounds and, and how we're formed and things that happen to us in the formation of our lives. And, uh, and I, I thought it was funny because um, Nisha told you guys, we're going to talk about family wounds next week. So either you didn't hear her say that and you, you didn't realize it, or you're very brave that we're here to talk about family wounds. Um, but I really, honestly, in all sincerity, I don't want to spend a bunch of this morning going, look at all these wounds in our past. I want, I want to talk about how redemption works and how we walk that how we walk that out. But we do have to understand that who you are 
is a composite of all of your experiences, the good and the bad and everything in between. And any places where in your formation years where there was deficits or lacks, those are, those are going to impact you. And, and when we come to relationship with Jesus, it says that he makes all things new, but it doesn't mean that he just slices our life right there and everything in the past is completely gone and no longer affects us. Jesus is, is incredible and a relationship with Jesus is incredible, but there are still journeys of our life or our life journey is still accumulating experiences that tell us a certain story about who we are and about who God is. And so today we want to look at that and go, yeah, I have been formed. You have been formed by maybe some deficits, maybe some wounds, maybe some lacks and some things that have happened in your life. And I want us to engage that and be able to, to, while maybe not embrace that, at least know that that is true and that God wants to meet us in that place. Okay, so, so to take that a step forward or a step further, what happened to you or didn't hap- happen to you during your formative years matters greatly. And so that's why we use the term family wounds or, or formative wounds, things that happened to us when we were younger. Um, we know now as we have been able to study and, and read, read studies that adverse childhood experiences um, affect so many of us and adverse childhood experiences are um, things like... If there was a problem drinker in your house growing up, if someone in your house went to prison, if, if there was abuse, verbal abuse or sexual abuse that happened in your home, if you were ever hit and, and in a way that left a mark on you or were injured by someone that you, that you trusted, like those are the types of things, and, and I don't want to get too intense this morning, but those are the types of things that they have researched and looked at and said, when we, in our upbringing, experience a lot of those things, that can begin to influence our life. And what they've seen in, in, in us and in our stories is that when those things happen to us and they accumulate, that we are more likely to deal with things like depression and anxiety and, and hopeless thoughts. And even to the point where it plays out in our physical lives, heart disease, um, diabetes, hepatitis, and, and, and lung disease, and things like this can be, can be researched and traced back to what our experience was as we were growing up. Now, uh, anyone in this room as we share and are compassionate with one another, we would know as we, if we told our stories that, that all of us experienced this type of stuff to different degrees. And, and so we don't want anything that we're sharing this morning to be about shaming anyone. We don't want this to be about um, feeling hopeless or, or, or trying to say, oh, we're a victim to our past. We're, we're not. But these, these things truly affect, can affect our lives and are impacting us still to this day of what our upbringing was like. The, but the good news is, is this. The good news that I, that I get so excited about is that the places of our greatest wounding is also the opportunity for God to meet us and bring the greatest healing to us. And that his word promises that his desire has been pursuing us and bringing the lonely and the lost into family. So if we are wounded in family or if we are wounded in our, in our history, God's great desire is to say, I will see, search you out and I will bring you into family and there will be healing and restoration that takes place. And so that's what we're talking about in identity is the very healing and restoration that in those wounds or in those deficits that God's saying, I want to be there for you in those places and see my healing taking place in your story. And so that's what we're aiming for. That's what, we're, that's what we're open for in this whole process of talking about identity is how do we surrender our lives to the power of the Spirit to allow that to take place. Let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. 
We have shared with you over the years about these, uh, and, I, and I just want to refresh your memory. Uh, the power of a father in your life. The power of a father in your life is to build us up. So we have these basic emotional needs, and as children, our parents are there to meet these basic emotional needs, and a father is in our life to be able to give us unconditional expressed love. Like we, as young kids, we desire a father who will express love to us and express to us that we are, that it is unconditional. Not that you gotta perform, you gotta measure this, you gotta do that, just the ability of a father to speak to sons and daughters and say, I see you, I love you. I'm proud of you, and is able to express that, not like a, a grunt or a fist bump, but to really be able to say, look into your eyes as a child and say, you're my son, I love you, I love you, and to express it is so powerful um, for us to receive that, um, and, and a lot of us will tell the story, oh, I knew I was loved, I knew I was loved by my father, but when we have a father who will stop and speak those things over us, it can be so powerful. Uh, the father, A father also brings this to this place where we need to feel secure and comforted. That's where a father is there for those places to, to build that atmosphere where we feel safe. And, and when we are hurt and we're injured, we feel comforted. I know you guys see this in your relationships with your kids when they, when they get hurt. They, they look for the, someone to comfort them and run to them. So, when the, when, and, and it's, so that's the reality of that. When, it, when the need for praise and affirmation a father speaks those, I'm proud of you, and I see you, and I'm with you. The need for purpose in life. A father is so profound in our journey of being able to call us to something higher and greater and to say you were created for something. And, and so that is, is a value of a father. If we experience wounds from a father, um, until that wound is healed, every father, every leader, or a, a female, a husband, like, will always disappoint you. It's a, it's a cracked glass that you could put over the a most beautiful artwork, but if that glass is cracked, it's still gonna be there. You're gonna see it through that fragmenting that happened. And so when you or I experiences, experience woundedness from a father, that will shatter that image. And so whenever we see a male or a leader, or it, it, we're looking at it through that, that glass that affects us and the ability to be able to be fine fathers who would speak into our life and encourage us. Okay. Is that, are you guys tracking with me so far? Sort of a downer, but stick with me. Okay, we're doing this. We're doing this. So the power of a mother is, is to nurture. So if a power of a father is to build up, the power of a mother is to nurture. A mother's love speaks about nurturing, empathy, affection, tenderness, especially those first couple years and in the womb. The mother's love imparts faith in the child to trust, um, to receive love, to express love. So that affectionate touch eye contact, verbal affirmation, these specific things that are powerful when a mother brings them into our life. How she speaks to you, words and tones, that the eyes that she can look into your eyes and you can see that you belong and that you're, you're known. That affectionate touch to be able to be, know that she's important or that you're important to her and that, you, that she's always there. So if we're wounded by a mother, it's hard to, fully, to ever fully receive and give nurture, intimacy, trust, and expressed love. We then turn, other things, we turn to other things to fill those needs in those areas. And that can be a lot of our stories of what we have turned to to fill the needs and the lack that we, from what we experienced in our, in our upbringing in our childhood. Oh, please let me remind you that God's heart and pursuit of you 
is not to allow these things to define who you are and that his pursuit and love for you is to come and to nurture you, to see you, to be a good father, to, be, to have a mother heart that, that sees you and, and comforts you, to do this in the way that God wants to show up for us. And this is why we take such delight in speaking about identity because it goes directly to these lies that have come in because of these upbringing moments. The lies that have come in can be confronted by who the Father says that you are and how he wants to meet you in those places. So you are not left in this story. You are not in this story. It is just our awareness to be able to see, say, I can see how these things affect me still. So family wounds or formative wounds can create in us many things. A fear of trusting, a fear of rejection and abandonment, a fear of opening our heart to love. And I want you to just agree, as we've talked about these things, I want you to agree with me that these things are still affecting you not in a hopeless way and not in a victim way, but that we could look honestly and say, yeah, the things that have happened to me or didn't happen to me or wherever it might be along those, I am still sometimes, a lot of times, a little bit of the time, I'm still operating out of those places, right? We sang the song uh, this morning, I am no victim. He is my father. I do not wonder if he will come through like he should is the lyric of the song. You all sang it this morning. But if you've been wounded or disappointed in a father relationship, yes, you do wonder if he will come through like he should. Right? We can sing it, but back to that place of identity, let's stay congruent, let's stay present in this, in this reality of saying, you know, like, yeah, I, I, I do, I want to declare that and I believe that and as Nisha said, I want to sing this in faith, but I'm, I'm simply presenting to you the real battle that we have is if I am hurt by a father, I'm going to wonder if my good father is ever going to come through for me, right? Okay, so let's, let me give you an example. We said this is sort of a workshop morning. Let's do a quick example. You guys ready? You guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look at you all. Okay, come on. Hey, shake it out, shake it out, shake it out. Oh, shake it out. Yeah, it's not any fun to see you all forlorn. All right, so let's, let's pop this up here. This is a test, uh, a test. It's not a test. It's we, it, to see, <laughs> I don't know where it is. Is it coming? Is it coming? It's coming. Is it coming? There's not, yes, run. It's an oral test and you will have to answer these out loud in front of the group. Can somebody pop back there and tell her to fire this up for me? There it is. Okay, so let's do one. This is one of, of, of a few. I'm sorry that I wrote test. I even tried to put it in parentheses so it didn't feel like a test. But let's, somebody in first gathering said, what if you call it like food for thought? I was like, oh, that's a good one. Okay, well, this is food for thought. It's not a test. You're not being diagnosed and you're not walking out of this room saying, that guy up front showed some things on screen and I'm pretty sure I have a massive fear of rejection. That's not what we're doing this morning. It's food for thought. Okay, so what if... You have this fear of punishment. Do you have a fear of punishment in your life? No, not at all. Okay, great. Let's talk about some things. So you're just going to mark these down real quickly. One, always, very often, often, sometimes, seldom, very seldom, and never. These are your scores. I'm going to make some statements. You're going to write the scores down. You're going to tally the scores up at the end, and you're going to have a number, and I'm going to share with you some food for thought uh, of how you did. Um, And so... If we were doing this in a different session, in a different context, we would take a little bit more time to unpack each one of these. We wouldn't just go, go like, answer quick, fast, what do you think? Go, go, go. So 
this will be a little bit of a rush through, but I want to give you this as an example that some of this stuff still affects our lives today, okay? Okay, fear of punishment, test, food for thought. I fear what God might do to me. So just read that statement. Think about it always, often, very often, often, sometimes, seldom, very seldom, and never. Each of those has a number. Just write that number down. Um, and then we'll go to the next one. Is, that, is everybody tracking along? Pretty good, what we're doing? Okay. Uh, I fear what God might do to me. Next one. We'll move this quickly. Uh, after I fail, I worry about God's response. So that's something you would say is always the case. Very often, often, sometimes, seldom, very seldom, and never. After I fail, I worry about God's response. Next one. When I see someone in a difficult situation, I wonder what he or she did to deserve it. Sometimes I'm curious. I think maybe they did something wrong, right? Always, very often, often, so on and so forth. This is not one that any of us would ever admit out loud, I don't think. can be real. Okay, next one. When something goes wrong, I have a tendency to think that God must be punishing me. Okay, when something goes wrong, I have a tendency to think that God must be punishing me. Next one. I'm very hard on myself when I fail. I'm very hard on myself when I fail. Next one. I find myself wanting to blame people when they fail. Which this can be a, nope, another... Anyway, never mind. Okay, I find myself wanting to blame people when they fail. Next one. I get angry with God when someone who is immoral or dishonest prospers, when they're successful. Always, very often, often. Okay. Next one. I am compelled to tell others when I see them doing wrong. can score that if you're married. You can just go ahead and score that for each other. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm compelled to tell others when I see them doing wrong. Next, let's move on. I tend to focus on the faults and failures of others. I tend to focus on the faults and failures of others. Okay. Next one. God seems harsh to me. When I think about God, it's, it's a picture of harshness. Okay. So what that should bring to us, bring us to on the next slide is to total your score quickly. Um, and as you're totaling your score, I'm going to read to you the food for thought reflection. Scoring. All right, go ahead. So if 
if we scored on that, on that punishment test, fear of punishment, 57 to 70, you have a very strong appreciation for God's love and unconditional acceptance of you. You seem to be freed from the fear of rejection that plagues many people. You have a very strong appreciation for God's love and unconditional acceptance of you. You seem to be freed from the fear of rejection that plagues most people. This, these, this uh, assessment is, from a, is adapted from a book called Search for Significance. Uh, Robert S. McGee, and he, adds, he also adds a pretty interesting line at the end of this. Anytime you score in the 57 to 70 range, he adds this line at the bottom. He goes, you seem to be freed from the fear of rejection that plagues most people or you're basically delusional and you are calloused. You're lying to yourself and you're calloused. You've learned to live out of this to such a degree that you're not aware of it. So I didn't want to put that on the screen. I thought maybe it would feel a little bit more acceptable coming from me than not just up there in black and white. But it can be true. Sometimes we learn to live in such a false self and it becomes so normalized that we are unaware of it. And when people ask, do you do this, do you do that? We're like, no, 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 I'm good, I'm good. Yeah, right? So we do have to allow this to become uh, a place where we soften our hearts and, and ask these. That's why I said if we were doing this in another way, another time, another space, and it would, we would take a lot more time to go through this. So 57 to 70, 47 to 56, the fear of rejection controls your responses rarely or only in certain situations. Again, the only major exceptions are those who are not honest with themselves. The fear of rejection controls your response rarely or only in certain situations. Next one. If you are 37 to 46, somewhere in that range, when you experience emotional problems, they may, be relate, they may relate to a sense of rejection and the fear that that creates. Uh, upon reflection, you will probably relate many of your previous decisions to this fear. Many of our future decisions uh, will also be affected by the fear of rejection unless you take direct action to overcome it. Next one, 27 to 36, the fear of rejection forms a general backdrop to your life. There are probably few days that you are not affected in some way by this fear. Unfortunately, this robs you of the joy uh, and peace your salvation is meant to bring. And then the last one, it's a little bit, um, zero to 26, experiences of rejection have dominated your memory and have probably resulted in a great deal of depression. These problems will remain until some definitive action is taken. In other words, this condition will not simply disappear. Time alone cannot heal your pain. You need to experience deep healing in your self-concept, in your relationship with God, and in your relationships with others. That's what I'm talking about, creating a community of family. That's what I'm talking about, of God inviting us into family. This is what I'm talking about, of how he wants to heal these things so that we are no longer living out of them. Does that make sense? Okay, so if, and if we're being honest, if you're here and you're like, I'm probably the only person that was on the, one of the last two screens, not true, not true at all. So as we take this test and as we become honest with ourselves, we, we do tend to find that a lot of rejection and other things that we talk about in this series um, are still the backdrop of our life. And, and God wants access to those places and to the, those memories and those beliefs that maybe cause that to be true. So, but that's not the point. I'm not here to make you feel like, oh man, I failed the test. No testing, no diagnosis, no nothing. Just, is it true? Can it be true that the deficits or the pains or the lack in your upbringing 
and in your family and in your formative years are still impacting you today. No matter how much you love Jesus, no matter how often you go to church, no matter how fervently you worship, uh, made it to all the Bible studies, learned all the verses, can it be true that you are still being affected by some of these things in your life? So if that's the case, then what are we to do? Come back next week and we'll tell you. Everyone, I'm just turning the pages in my notes here. <laughs> oh, she's done. Okay, I'm sorry. It was a, it was a bad joke. It's terrible. Jarek liked it. So when we come to Jesus, these search tests is just an indicator of that. And that's why I love talking about identity because I want us to get to the root issues. I don't want our experience as a church to be religion just painted over the top of our life. I want us to get to the root issues, even if it means that we have to be a messier family, even if it means that we have to be the sad church that cries a lot. I don't care. Even if we have to be like, we have these long conversations that we repeat the same stuff every year. Yeah, you know what? That's how you get down to the root issues is we've got to ruminate on some of these things and we've got to dig down. And I'm okay with that. And so I love this is that sense of identity and why it's so valuable to us to have these conversations as we can get down to the root issue. Otherwise, we're just going to be striving in our faith. Okay? And I don't want us to be striving in our faith. Let me do an illustration. Babe, will you help me with an illustration if you promise not to hurt me? This could be, this could be terrible. Maybe I'll just hold on to this. I was going to, here, hold that, uh, hold the end of this. I was going to attach it to my, to my belt, but now I'm afraid too. So yeah, so I'm just going to hold it here. So if this is, if this is us and I come and I, this is what a lot of religion looks like. This is what a lot of church, uh, a lot of our church experiences can look like is that we come to Jesus and Jesus comes and says, Hey, I want you to walk with me and we're going to do all kinds of things. And, and you're like, yes, let's go. And so you start walking with Jesus. And, and the more you go, the you're not going to hurt me. You are going to hurt me. Oh, okay. Uh, the, the more that the further that we go, the more effort a human effort and striving it takes for us to move forward. And what happened was that Jesus said, all right, I'm coming into relationship with you. And he turned this way and we went this way. Because why? Because he wants to unhook us from these core identity issues. He wants to meet us in those places where maybe things have happened to us or where there's been lack or whatever. And he wants to, hey, good job. No, you're fine. Um, can you imagine if I'd actually hooked that on? I think she would have definitely not been able to resist the temptation of snapping me. So if I, have, if I have things in my life that my core identity is tied to and I come to Jesus and my whole story is like, now just strive forward, pursue him, follow him, do all the things for him. My, my, my faith journey is this like three amigos in the jail cell for the older folks in the room. Is that pulling that weight instead of Jesus saying, I actually went this way because I want to meet you in that healing place. I want to bring you into family. I want to restore you. When he says, I want you to have faith, does that make sense? When, I want he, when he says, I want you to have faith like a child in Matthew 18, it's an invitation to heal and to restore our child, our inner child, and to be childlike. But to do that, we have to go back to those places and be healed in those places, right? If I was, if I was hurt by a father when I sing that song, that I'm never going to wonder if you're going to come through like you should, that's not true, correct? So I can either say, I'll keep singing the song, or I can say, what would it look like 
for that child who was disappointed by a father to be restored in that place so that when I sing that song of my good and true father, I'm in congruency, I'm believing it and I'm living out of it. And so we have this invitation to a childlike faith and to the restoration that he wants to do. And if we never see our formative story restored, we might always struggle to have a childlike faith because we've disassociated from the pain of our childhood. Ephesians 1, believe this, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to adopt us, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us into family, into sonship, into daughtership. This is what he did for us, and this was all through Christ. That is the promise of healing and restoration within a family. So looking into our formative years, especially our relationship with our mother and father and those who were over us, it's not about blaming anyone. It's not about looking at our, uh, anyone else for our current choices and saying, oh, I, I, this was now, thank you, Ryan, for this great message. I can go do these things and say it was because my bungee cord was stuck to those things. What am I ever to do? I, I'm just living out of this way. We're not looking to blame. We're not looking to offload the responsibility for our choices in response to what has happened to us in this life. We're also not here to heap a bunch of shame on us as parents for not being perfect with our own kids. Like it's, it's, it, that's not what we're here to do. Release that off of you. We're simply having constructive conversations about the reality that you are being impacted by your formative years and that until God meets us in those places, we will still be impacted by them in the future. But I want to invite us to be different and to go back to those places and see Jesus untie us from some of these things so that we can move forward as he calls us to move forward. I'm not a victim. We're not a victim to our past. We're not a victim to our story. We're not a victim to places that we have failed. We are redeemed and we are ransomed. And that redemption story that he wants to make your story is about him restoring what is lost. He's restoring what is wasted in your life. What you could say, oh, I wasted that or I lost that. He wants to redeem and restore that. He wants to redeem your mistakes and our mistakes. He wants to redeem pain and suffering. And he wants to redeem your past and your family wounds. This is what he wants to do. This is what he is up to. This is what he's always been up to. So there's a process that I want to encourage you in today. And this is not self-help theory. Uh, This is techniques and tools that we want you to have that we believe come out of a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we would be able to operate in a freedom from these deficits in a new way. And so I want to give you a tool that will help you in that, hopefully will help you in that. One thing I didn't say in the first gathering that I want you to hear me say in this gathering is make this work for you. Like, I'm not giving you some kind of, like, overlay. It's like, this is, you gotta do it this way. This is magic. It's the only way it works. It's not, like, this is not what I'm giving to you. So if I give you a tool, something to practice, I also want you to know you, the permission you have to just talk to the Lord and say, how do I make this fit me? So it, so it makes sense to me, and it helps me process the stuff that we're processing. And so the, 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 the tool that I want to give you is, is called a, um, a trip in and a trip out. And it's really just allowing us to maybe recognize some of the lies or, or, or 
or some of the doubts or fears or whatever it might be from our past that are hindering the momentum, our current momentum of rising into our identity and walking in our identity. The other day, I was, uh, I was pushing Mercy on the swing, and as long as she kept her feet up, it was super easy. Just a little nudge at the right moment created a ton of momentum, and she goes higher and higher and higher. But every time she would drag her feet, we had to start the process over. And I was thinking about how that's, how that's been me over the years in the places where I doubt my identity or I have fear about my identity. And it's like God is, is trying to create momentum in my life that, that allows me to grow and move in my identity, but I'm there dragging my feet every time I swing through. And then we got to start the process over. And so what this is allowing you to do, hopefully, is just see places where maybe you're dragging your feet or some things that are, exist in your, in your belief system about yourself or your past or your family or whatever might be hindering the momentum of God that he wants to bring you into a new place of identity. And so my prayer is that this morning would just be, um, this tool would be an opportunity for some of those things to be interrupted and we walk in new, in new freedom. So the trip in, trip out, or the identity exchange is what I want to spend a few minutes explaining this to you. And then I want to give us time give you time to to just practice it okay so how you guys doing good good don't you love it when a, when someone up front asks you a specific individual question and you don't know if you should answer it to the whole group all right um do you need to stand up move around do anything before we transition to a little bit of a workshop yeah go ahead and stand up move around kick it out whatever you want to do let's stay engaged Okay, keep moving. You're fine. I'm going to start. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a couple things while you still move around. You move. I'm impressed by you guys. The reason, that I'm, the reason that I actually got into being a preacher was because I cannot sit through sermons or Sunday gatherings. <laughs> so the only way I figured out how I could get all of this energy to actually make it through a meeting was if I got to walk around and move around. So... You guys are doing good. I'm impressed. So the identity exchange, trip in and trip out. Here's how we do this. We think about a trigger. A trigger is what is causing you to slide into places you don't want to be in your mind or in your heart. We will, Christian and I will make this into a tool that we can put out on, on our website so you guys can see it um, in that form as well. You're not, you don't have to write this stuff down while we're doing it here. So a trigger is something that, that, that sparked you. It's a little bit of a, you're looking for like small things that you responded to disproportionately. Um, tons of examples, but maybe it's a stranger looking at you funny or somebody pulling in front of, or whatever it is. It's just like something little that creates a huge response in you and, and, and it shouldn't, right? That's a, that's a trigger. So then we ask the question, what was the trigger? What was the behavior then? What the trigger did something and it could have been like two weeks ago, really. And you got triggered back here and you just ruminated on it, ruminated on it. It spun you, it spun you, it spun you. And then later on you're with your family or your spouse or something happens. And then you're, you're like losing your temper. Okay, you've got it. We have to be able to learn to to understand those things. So, what was the trigger, and then what was the action? What was the behavior? And then the question is, how did you, what did you feel when you were making that choice to step into that behavior or say that thing or or get upset about like what what was the what were you feeling? 
And then what was, your, what, was your, what was going on in your body? Because our body is always sending us messages. Our emotions are always sending us messages. They're indicators. Our emotion and body response are indicators. Our emotions do not point at the truth. They point at what we are believing, okay? So then we go uh, emotion response, body response, and then thinking. So ask yourself this question. What in that moment, if I put myself back in that moment, what do I believe that I needed or deserved right in that moment? What was I fighting for? What did I feel justified in? Where did I feel like it was righteous anger? <laughs> Sorry, not funny. Okay. <laughs> so you guys must have a lot of righteous anger out there. Okay. Um, so then our next, our next set of slides, we go from there to entering in with that information that we've just collected, we enter into the sacred space. We've been practicing uh, meeting with God, Emmanuel moments, the, these Sunday mornings where we've, we've just quieted ourselves, asked the Lord, what is, what is my name in this season? Um, who are you to me and who am I to you? And these, these kinds of interactions bring us into a sacred space and, and this, this, this heart space that you cultivate and carry with you all the time, but we can intentionally walk into that space and say, okay, God, I want to meet with this information that I just collected. I want to meet with you. Um, and you're asking the father, what is your truth? I got triggered. I did this thing. I felt this way. My body felt this way. I was thinking I deserved it. I, I earned it. I whatever. Now I'm bringing all of this information and I'm bringing it to you. And I'm asking you this simple question. What is your truth about this? Okay, the core belief. Where have I accepted a lie about God, about myself, about my circumstances, or about, or about others? Uh, how does that inform my thinking, my feeling, and my actions? This is what I'm talking about from earlier where those places of formative uh, wounds are still there. And this is where the Lord in his gentleness, but also in his healing, is able to point out to us and say, you have a core belief about me or about yourself or about whether I'm coming through for you or about other people. You have a core belief that has been formed maybe years ago that is still impacting you today. And I'm asking you now in that exchange for repentance, which is to change my mind, the thinking after being with God. So it's not repentance isn't what is typically taught where you just say, you know, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Now I've repented. Repentance is actually a, a process of being with God, having God's perspective become your perspective, his truth become your truth. And when you have that revelation, your mind is changed. And that's the turning point that happens when I say, God, what I'm believing about this situation is not what you say about this situation. So forgive me for imprinting my, my uh, version of this over your truth. I'm letting that go and I'm receiving your truth. This is the transformation that it talks about in Romans. It said you will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Repentance is a process of our thinking being renewed by God's thinking, but we have to go to him. It's transformation. The root word is transformation after being or changing our mind and thinking after being with. So we have to come to God with these beliefs or these thinkings or these things. And then he changes our thinking. And in changing our thinking, we are transformed. So that repentance takes place, and then we make that exchange. What is the core belief and truth about God, about myself, about circumstances, about others? So I've made this exchange, and now I can really allow my core belief system to be changed by speaking the truth, receiving the truth, and speaking the truth about God, about myself, about my circumstances, and others. Okay, go to the next slide. And then the new thinking. 
based on God's truth, the I am statements and the God is statements. This is the reality of where scripture is such a powerful thing for us to be able to learn and memorize and to meditate on. And I have this this worksheet, or not a worksheet, I have this incredible page for you guys that's sitting right over there on the communion table. And later, um, as you, if you want to take communion, you want to hang out, or if you're just on your way, then I want you to grab this because this is that transformation that takes place where who, who are you? And these are the verses that you can learn to set your life on. I'm complete in him. I am alive with Christ. I'm free from the law of sin and death. These are the types of things that we're learning. But we can't just be people who grab scripture and paint them over pain and paint them over these deficits and traumas. Like we're not doing that. It's in getting into those places where these scriptures actually become meaningful is because we've gone to the depths and now we're declaring from those places the truth of who we are and we're declaring the truth of who God is. And so I want us to be able to use that as a part of our exchange um, technique. Then we're gonna go back out. So if you're holding on to anything else out of this whole journey, Let's not worry about going further from that point of the I am statements and the God is statements of that truth that is being spoken into us. Let's not be in a hustle to get out to the performance. Like, how do I change my behavior, right? Let's go through this thing so I can have changed behavior. If, if we were doing that, we would just start with what did you do and then how do you want to act better? And that's what you would be given. You'd be given a two-step process. You did something dumb. Don't do it anymore. Welcome to church. Here's some verses. That's skipping an entire journey of healing and restoration and adoption into family that God wants you to experience by going through the exchange journey. We are not here to simply skip steps to performing better as Christians. I don't care if you ever get to the performing better as Christians. If you're hanging in out in this place where you're saying, God, I am this to you, I am this to you, I am this to you, and you are this, and you are this, and you are this. And so what we have for the rest of this trip out is not you taking steps to get out. It's actually allowing the, the, the exchange to become such a seed in your heart that the outgrowth of this is changed behavior. If you ever make the goal, change behavior, we're doing it wrong. Your behavior should only change out of revelation, transformation by the renewing of your mind, by being with God and asking him, who do you say I am? What do you speak over my family? What do you speak over my past? What do you speak over my future? That's all this is. But as we hang out in that spot and get this exchange taking place, we get to walk out. The restorative, the redemptive behavior. You might go back and make things right. Maybe there's some things that you did and you triggered and you acted and you just need to, to make those right. But really, I want you to be able to say going forward in this situation, what will I do? How will I respond? What is a redemptive response that is reflective of my identity in Christ. Sorry, everyone over here. I just realized that I was talked to those, those fine folks over there in that screen for like 10 minutes straight. So you all done. We're coming over here. Oh, time's up. Um, no, and then the end is us walking in identity. I am who my father says that I am. That you're walking in that without striving. You're walking in it as an overflow of this transformation and redemption that's taken place because of Jesus. That's where we want to journey through that process. But as I said, at the heart of it, at the core of it, is that exchange that takes place. So does that make sense, everybody? Okay, so let's sit back for just a minute. You, can, you don't have to clear your hands because I want you to, I want you to do this with me, okay? We're gonna do this in a 10-minute exercise.
I'm going to jump back to that first slide. If you have questions about this, or it's a little bit feels a little bit clunky or a little bit weird, one, as I said, you can make it work for you, make it fit for you. It's just the process of saying, what did I? How am I acting? What am I believing? Can I exchange that for truth? What would it look like if I lived in that truth in my identity? How would my life? What would my outflow of that look like? Right. So, so you can make this fit for for you, but I want you to have this as a tool. So. On your piece of paper, I want you to think about something that triggered you maybe in the last week, two or th- even two or three days. It can be something small. We're not looking for, like, I robbed a bank and knocked off the 7-Eleven, um, which, you know, it's, it's, could be a thing, but that's not what we're looking for. We're looking for what is something, even something small, just to practice it. I, lo- I lost, I got frustrated at my coworker because they looked at me funny, and I'm going to burn their desk. Sorry, that's not helpful, is this, for the exercise? I've been talking a lot this morning, forgive me. All right, so trigger. Action, what was the action that that trigger set in motion? What was the behavior, the outplay of that trigger? Can you ask yourself now, what, what were you, emotionally, what were you feeling? Or remembering how your body felt, racing heart, hands, flexing my hands, had stuff that I wanted to move around. Like, what was, what was the body response? I felt like I wanted to run away. I felt like I wanted to fight. What was your body response? What was your emotional response? Knowing what your emotion was in that moment is very helpful as an indicator of what you're believing, okay? In that moment, ask yourself, what did I believe that I needed or deserved right in that place? give you an example of that one so like say I needed peace so I lashed out at who or what um, was causing me to feel unsettled does that make sense okay I felt like I, I really needed peace so I lashed out at the person who was making me feel unsettled so these true needs that we have are often in this section these true needs like peace identity protection provision friendship companionship love nurture comfort these are true needs that we, that we have. But when we create these shortcuts, we get triggered, we, we have an unhealthy action. What we're doing is we're grabbing onto those needs and we're trying to get them met in an unhealthy way. We're, we're looking for shortcuts, right? So then uh, go to the next slide. You guys are doing great, by the way. So coming into that sacred space. God, we thank you that you're here, that you're, that you're welcoming to us, that you open your heart to us that your word says that we can come into your presence whenever we need grace and mercy. And when we're thinking about these situations or the thing that triggered us or the behavior, we absolutely need grace and mercy. But your invitation is for us to come to you. So we come to you in this sacred space, in this sacred moment, knowing that you're a good father who welcomes us, believing that you're a good father who welcomes us. And so we're asking you, what is your truth over this? 
where have I accepted a lie about you, about myself, about my circumstances, about other people? These core beliefs, like show us these core beliefs, God. Beliefs like if I fail, I'm unworthy of love and deserve to be blamed and punished. Beliefs like I am alone in this world. Beliefs like I am hopeless to change. Beliefs like I am helpless. Beliefs like I am tainted. Beliefs like I am shameful. I'm not important. I have no voice. I can't hear you. I don't matter. I am stupid. If I trust anyone outside of myself, I'll be putting myself at too great of risk. Beliefs like I am powerless, I am not loved, I am not needed, I am not wanted. These are core beliefs that I believe the Father can begin to reveal to us that come from those lies that hit us in our formative years. The accuser loves to take our places of trauma and hurt and woundedness and speak an accusation against us at an, at an age when our guard is down and that lie lands it becomes a seed and it grows throughout our entire life. So what God is doing is as a faithful gardener just to uproot those things, pull those lies out in a way that doesn't destroy us. So right now I just want you to repent in the sense of, God, I see your truth. I want to see your truth. I want to release my core belief that's not true. I want to release this, something I'm believing about you, about myself, about my circumstances, and about others. And I'm asking you to transform my mind, transform my heart, so that I know who you are and I know who I am. So then the next step, thank you guys again for letting me go take you through this a little bit quickly. It probably feels like a, a little bit like a roller coaster, but I, I really appreciate it. And I want you guys to be able to use this all the time. So next slide. What is new thinking? What is the exchange? Who are you? Who is God? Where can we exchange that place of saying, I'm believing, I've been told this my whole life that I'm unworthy, but I know that you're a good father who is speaking value and belonging over me and that you have held a place for me. So you can understand why we don't do this like the Tour de France riders that just ride their bikes and reach out and grab a, a water from somebody and throw it in their face and keep riding. The sacred space exercise, it's not to just whip in, hey, God, thanks for the truth. Psh, grab it, splash it on yourself and keep going. This is a, the sacred space is the transformative, the new thinking, this whole thing. We're talking about life. This is where we stay. This is where we stay. He is, he is defragging your life, your memories. He's, he's taking memories that are in all sorts of different places in your life and have been mislabeled and miscategorized and have been put in the wrong place in your story and he's bringing them all back into the right place in your story. It doesn't mean that those things didn't happen to you. It just means that this memory doesn't get to define who I am or who you are anymore. It actually belongs in my redemptive story and I'm gonna put it back here instead of right out in front of your face that you're always looking at everything through. He's defragging that memory system of our life. I know that's an old-fashioned term for those of you that were like had computers in the 90s, but you get what I'm saying, Napster thieves. Emotional response, body response. Now thinking about it, how would I respond? How would I feel if I were in that situation again? How do I feel about that situation right now? How do I feel about that person? 
Don't put a bunch of pressure on yourself in this moment to be like, I feel love for them. This is incredible. Like you might feel the exact same emotions. You might feel the exact same anxiety or, or, or adrenaline. It's, it's just that it's still pointing us toward what it is. What is the indicator? My emotions and my body response are an indicator of what I'm believing. Okay, so I'm gonna say, okay, God, help me. Meet me in this place. Let's continue to be in this. I am, who am I, and who are you? And letting that not just be a list of verses that I love, but let it actually be through revelation of him, the Father, meeting you in this place and speaking to you in this place. And then if you went to that restorative, redemptive behavior, what would you do differently? What do you need to do to make it right? Or going forward, how would you respond out of the core belief shift that's taken place? You don't get a core belief shift in like 30 minutes, by the way. This is, we're, we're, we're in this. This is life. This is how we, this is how we process. For Kate and I, this is, we, we do this all the time. And then we walk out in identity. How do we walk that out? I am who the Father says that I am. So hear me say this and we'll be done. The goal of this is, <laughs> the goal of this, that was a high and a laughter that came out really weird, but hey. Um, the goal of this is not for all of those deficits to be healed. It's not all those traumas or those things that have happened to you in the formative years that have left you wanting or in need in certain places. It's not just to heal them all and go, oh, look, it's all better. Those are still your story. Those are still things that are part of what's happened to you. They're not gonna just magically go away. But if, we have, if we're grasping at identity, we try to fill those deficits ourselves. We are grabbing at identity. We're grabbing at belonging. We're grabbing at purpose. We're grabbing at people. We're grabbing at whatever that external thing is, and we are trying to fill those deficits ourselves. So what we're trying to do is not to say, the deficits are all gone and I'm 100% better. It's to remove from those places of your story the lies that you've believed and the things that you've used to dole them or to deny them or to dismiss them. It's to pull those things out. So now the deficits are there. You've got these amazing, empty containers. And what do we know about our good father? Is that anything empty in our life is an invitation for him to fill it. So what he wants to do is he wants to fill your deficits with his presence, with his love, with his truth in such a way that you are living from the overflow of what God has poured into your story instead of living from the lack that that story wants to tell over you. And he's placed you into a family and he is a good father and he is willing to take whatever time it takes to walk with you through that journey and say, yeah, these deficits are a part of who you are. But when I see them, I see containers for my glory, for my truth, for my love. And I wanna pour myself out in that place until you're living a testimony of the overflow of a good father who restores our stories. Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Okay, love you guys. Uh, thank you for hanging out uh, with a little bit of a intense morning. But workshops are fun, right? Yay! Okay. Um, we do. We love you. We appreciate you. Have an amazing Sunday. Have a great week. Use this tool. Don't turn it into a religious tool, but use it. Uh, make it yours and enjoy it. Well, maybe you won't enjoy it, but... You, there it is. Wisdom from the back coming in strong.